This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Patrick Miller of Faccia Brutto. This episode introduces you to these magnificent old world Italian spirits. Be sure to reach out to Patrick and Faccia Brutto and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, F.A. Nation, let's meet our guests. Patrick Miller, I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. We met Faccia Bruto at Bar Convent, Brooklyn, and... The the overwhelming enthusiasm at your booth was infectious. And I have been so waiting to talk about your product, all the things that you do. What I want to know and share with the listeners is how this gets started. Well, it's a long answer, but uh, I'll see if I can make it a short one. Um, I was a, a cook for most of my life, and um, I was introduced to kind of the category of Amaro, uh, like most cooks are when you have your first shot of Fernet Branca. Um, and, you know, over time, you become accustomed to that sort of flavor profile of just like bitter in your face things. And uh, as time went on, I uh, wound up opening a restaurant in downtown Brooklyn uh, called Rucola, which is still there. And just by being there every day and being exposed to Italian spirits and Amari, um, I just fell in love with the category. And uh, after several years of being a cook there and, you know, tasting lots of different things, um, Amari related, also food, but Amari related, uh, I decided to, you know, see if I could strike out on my own, uh, making, making something that's uh, hopefully uh, doing the category justice. I would say you do it justice. I would say you do more than do it justice. And <laughs> what stood out to me is just what wonderful, vibrant flavors in an Amaro, in a Fernet, in all of the things that you produce. And that must come from your chef, from your kitchen background. Talk us, talk us through the timeline. So you're in the kitchens, you're trying the Fernet Branca, but then you're thinking, I'm going to strike out on my own. I'm sure you're practicing over time. Talk about that experience and that journey. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I am somebody who likes to have little projects, kind of things going on. So on my days off, uh, when I was working, you know, in restaurants or at Rucola, I could look forward to something, whether it was just like, uh, you know, fermenting hot sauce or you know, bitters or whatever. And so Brad Parsons, uh, who lives in Brooklyn, wrote a couple books about um, Amari and bitters 
uh, that came out around 2015, 2016, maybe, maybe earlier. Uh, so I read those books, thought it was really cool. And, uh, cocktail bitters were kind of like the first thing that I tried my hand at and, uh, made kind of a batch of those as a DIY poor line cook gift for Christmas, uh, to give out to people. And, uh, my mom got me a small five gallon barrel the next year because she, you know, I told her I was interested in this. I was, you know, tinkering and making, um, like tinctures and Amari on my day off. And so once I had this barrel, it kind of allowed me to pursue that hobby, um, a little, a little more fully than I was before. So, uh, I just, that was kind of like the genesis of me making something, trying to make it better. And then slowly realizing that that's more what I wanted to do in life instead of, um, working in a kitchen. How'd the name come about? Uh, I'd gone through a few rendi- Once I decided I wanted to start um, an Amaro company, uh, I had gone through a few renditions of names that were fine, but not great. And I was just walking across the street one day and I had been kind of stewing over like the name and it just hit me like a bolt of lightning. I was like, Oh my God, Facha Bruta. Like that's it. Um, and one of my old chefs, wife's used to call him Facha Bruta. Uh, and so it, it just, you know, flash of lightning occurred to me. I was like, this is great. And so I thought, well, uh, Facha Bruta sounds fine, but like, let's see if we can push it a little further. Um, and so I was thinking ugly face, ugly grammar. So instead of Facha Bruta, which is correct, I decided to name it Facha Bruto just, uh, to kind of make the name sound a little bit more, dissonant instead of correct. Um, so, you know, ugly face, ugly grammar, you know, delicious booze, delicious spirit, whatever. So that's how the name came about. See, there's always a really fascinating story about how things, like you said, it hit you like a bolt of lightning that this is what would fit. And then you put this gentleman on your label and I'm sure there's a story about that as well. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, um, when I was talking to the people who did the branding, I said, listen, I love Charles Bukowski. Can you put a reference to him in some way, shape or form on the bottle? And that is what they came back with. The, the people who I had to do the branding are a husband and wife team here in Brooklyn. Um, and he is an artist. And so he came back with the drawing of the guy drinking. And I was like, that's perfect. Cause that's an, an amazing homage to Charles Bukowski, you know? All right, I'm not familiar with that Charles Bukowski. Who who are you paying homage to? Oh, he's a, a writer from uh, like the mid 1900s who was a uh, just a raging alcoholic, um, and uh, kind of like post post beat uh, writer. Uh, and he was very funny. And there was a movie made about him with I think it was Mickey Rohr called Barfly. Um, very very funny writer. See, you keep scratching the surface with this and it becomes even more interesting. And this is to me why I said that when we were at Bar Convent, there's there's this enthusiasm that resonates not only with the people involved with what goes on with making your product, but just every every experience that you have with what you're producing and what goes in for you to source the the ingredients and, and, and how have you taken it from, hey, mom bought me a five gallon barrel, um, a five gallon cask 
to then starting to say, this is a business and I'm going to start sourcing ingredients for this? Uh, honestly, it's actually fairly simple to source the ingredients. Um, there are lots of, I mean, nowadays there's, there's a lot of different uh, websites that offer, uh, you know, direct to consumer. You don't have to, you know, be a wholesaler or anything to access them. And uh, it was very, very easy to just sort of figure out where to buy. Now the, the hardest part, honestly, in going, going this route was the what to buy, because it's not gin, whiskey, vodka, tequila, mezcal, like things that are very transparent about what go into the product for the most part. Um, this is a category of spirits that uh, Italians sort of, I don't know, birthed, I suppose, after they were medicine, right? So all this stuff started out as medicine initially. And um, once they found it to be a profitable enterprise, when you put more water and sugar in them uh, and sell them, uh, it it turned, it went from something that's like homeopathic to something that's, you know, a business now. Right. So you want to keep your secrets well guarded and it's, it was tough to figure out what to put in to these, uh, different expressions of, uh, spirits, right. Cause no Italians are very tight lipped about it. And, um, there aren't a lot of producers at the time when I was trying, there aren't, there weren't a lot of producers of, um, these spirits in the United States. So, uh, I was able the one person who was like really nice and upfront with me about not necessarily like what goes into the products, but how to start the business was Francesco Amadeo from Don Ciccio e Fili in, um, Washington, DC. Um, so we, you know, went down there, toured, talked, um, and he was fair, fairly open, uh, as far as just like, this is the business, this is, you know, what it's like. Um, so, yeah, from there, uh, it was buying lots of books that were out of print that somebody had scanned um, into like a PDF document and then sent to like somebody to, to print and bind them or uh, just deep dives in like home distiller forums where people were talking about different recipes or formulas that they had tried. And then from there, you know, you get a list of ingredients that's, you know, 60 ingredients long and you're like, okay, well, let's just buy small bags of each one of these things and try making them. And so it's a lot of trial and error. It took probably four to five years of R&D while I was still working at Rucola, probably between 2016 and 2020 when I wound up leaving of me just making small batches of things at home, um, you know, having my partner try them. And if she gave the thumbs up, I kind of knew I was on the, on the right path. Um, and even, you know, to this day, after we've been in business for three and a half years, everything still gets a little tweaked a little bit because we're still dealing with agricultural products, right? Uh, we're still dealing with things that have uh, some variance in flavor when they, when they come in. So every batch um, is just like microscopically different and we can notice it. And so we try to kind of push it in the right direction, but it's definitely not something that's just like, set it and forget it, you know? Well, you talk about your your partner, the thumbs up and all, but what were some of those other aha moments, those areas of validation where you said, hey, we're on to something and this is morphing into, we need to buy bottles, we need to get a label. This is becoming a business. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, that was probably when I would give it to my friends at bars or... 
uh, restaurants and say, try this, like, tell me what you think. And so over time, when the list of things that were wrong with it became shorter and shorter, that's when I felt more strongly about the possibility of it being uh, a reality. Um, so just, yeah, the better, <laughs> the better I made the stuff, uh, the better I felt about it. So I suppose that's, yeah. It was that validation, right? Yeah, sure. Totally. In, in the kitchen, your validation is seeing a clean plate. Your validation is prior to Yelp and all these reviews. You know, maybe somebody, you know, the, the, the server coming back and said, hey, table 14, they loved they love the meal. They just want to say thank you. Kudos to the chef, right? That's the validation that yep. as, as a craftsperson that, 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 that you feed off of. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was it. You know, uh, somebody has a has a nice meal. They come in, say thanks. Maybe they don't, but at least, you know, uh, you hear they had a good time or like you said, you see the plates come back and they're clean. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's it was a little different when you're trying to create something that there's no um, sort of like given formula for or any sort of outline for how you should do it, aside from just like you take raw ingredients, they go into booze and water, they're sweetened with sugar and filtered. You know what I mean? There's like super basic framework, but there's nothing that says like you should use these ingredients, but not those to make this product. So um, I think once, you know, people try stuff and they say, hey, this isn't half bad, then that's, you know, that's the validation is honestly. And when it comes from people who are good bartenders, um, then you, you're like, okay, cool. Like these people know what they're talking about. Pardon the interruption. Thank you so much for listening to Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Could you do us a favor? Hit that follow button. It makes it easier for others to find us and it helps us climb in the rankings. Take a screenshot of the podcast, post it, Tag us and let everyone know that you listen to the Fermented Adventure podcast. Now, back to our podcast. Brooklyn, you've got different creative outlets. You've got Method Spirits. You've got uh, Barrows and Tents. You've got uh, Arcane, which I don't believe is in business anymore. What What is it about Brooklyn where Facho Bruto is like you're in the epicenter, but what is it? that really seems to be happening in Brooklyn for all this creativity and just the amazing um, liqueurs and amaros and things that are coming out of the area right now. Um, I think honestly, it's, it's just like a, a numbers game, right? This is an, this is an enormous city. And so I think you just have the fact that there are so many people here and you're going to wind up with a few people who um, love something enough to try to commercialize it and to turn it into a business. Um, so like, you know, you do have, uh, like you mentioned, Arcane, uh, who, you know, did make one sort of set of things and then turned into making just beer whiskey, right? Like something that I don't think anyone else was making and especially the way they were making it. Um, and I think, yeah, like I said, it's just, you have a huge uh, number of people to pull from and there are going to be a small amount of people who uh, feel passionately enough about it to kind of like say, Hey, like, I think I can do this. Um, and that's with anything, right? You know, that's with anything. 
I just wonder if there's this collaboration, this mastermind, hey, maybe something in the water, who knows? But it just seems like, yeah, there are people that are catching on and doing some things around the country. But for some reason, this seems like there's this epicenter of really excellent products coming together. Really great craftsmen like yourself that are putting together such quality spirits. You just can't help but say, I, I want to stock my bar with all of these. I just want to tell my friends. I want to share. I want to say, have you tried this? Because this is so unique that if you're making cocktails, if you're drinking this as itself, as an aperitif or an Amaro, as we talked about, you, you got to try this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think uh, what kind of separates the wheat from the chaff is the fact that uh, it's a big city. You have lots of choices. And if it just like, you know, owning a restaurant and serving food, you know, if you're only as good as the last dish that you send out, in a restaurant. And I think, you know, same thing with booze. You're only as good as the last bottle you send out that someone receives and drinks. Um, and so if you are able to at least maintain consistency and a high uh, level of quality, then you can find success. Um, however you define that. Right. But um, I think if you just like something and you're not as rigorous with uh, how you structure either, your brand in the marketplace or your um, quality of, of product, then it, it's a lot, it's a lot tougher. Um, I think the fact that there are so many options here uh, really kind of s separate out people who are s very passionate from those who just think it's a cool thing or those who just kind of like it um, where they might be successful in other, other markets, smaller cities, places that, where you're the only, you know, fish in the pond. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, the fact that we are very rigorous and attentive and uh, democratic also um, make us, make us a strong, a strong candidate for survival here. <laughs> well, speak to, we have the Fernet Pianta here to taste and share, but talk about everything on your line right now and what is available for consumers. Sure. Um, we started out with four items or four SKUs. Uh, the aperitivo, um, which is sort of our in-between Campari and Aperol version of a nice red bitter. Um, the Fernet Pianta, named after my grandfather, Peter Pianta. Uh, sort of our uh, love letter to people that like Fernets. Um, a little lower in ABV, um, a little bit less like punch in the face with fake mint. Um, a little bit smoother of an experience, less of a dare. Um, Amaro Garini, named after my grandmother, her maiden name, Lena Garini. And uh, that is our Southern Italian style Amaro. So more caramel and orange forward uh, and, and Amaro Alpino. So an Alpine Amaro, right? Similar to Braulio. Um, the Garini and Alpino were both aged and used whiskey barrels in Solera style. Um, so those have ton of complexity, lots of fun, uh, fun notes going on there. And then from those four items, we expanded with an Ocino, a green walnut liqueur that's released every fall, winter, um, a Carchofo, an artichoke amaro that's unaged. So our sort of version of a little more herbaceous um, artichoke liqueur and uh, Centerbe. So that means hundred herbs in Italian. So it's Italy's version of an herbaceous green liqueur, right? So not 
not super bitter, just very herbal and sweet, a little higher ABV. Uh, and then we have, you know, some, some one-off things that we're, we're kind of playing around with. We may have a uh, coffee liqueur that's vacuum distilled down the road. We have a Centerbe Giallo, so a yellow Centerbe that we aged in white wine barrels that we released recently. Um, and some other things that we're working on. So that's, that's the whole, the whole line. Some of, some of them are available all the time. Some are available seasonally. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. See, here's the problem. I mean, we're in the Philadelphia area. You're in Brooklyn. However, you're listing so many things and I'm like, well, I want that one and I want that one. And these limited releases, how do I get those? So if you're not in the Brooklyn area, how do people get them? Do you ship throughout the country right now? Uh, so our website, we do, uh, we do have purchasing available. Um, we, for the stuff that's limited, like the Chenta de Jalo, uh, we only made 66 cases because it was an experiment that just turned out well. Uh, and so we, you know, we send that to the distributor and they try to allocate to different markets. So to, you know, the, uh, it's not the LCBO, it's the, whatever the, the Pennsylvania liquor board is, um, PLCB. It's the, uh, so no, we, we, we call it the Gestapo, but you know, that's, you uh, yeah, that's yeah. a whole different conversation. Just, just, you know, nothing good really ever makes it anywhere. They, they just keep it in there amongst themselves, uh, yeah. I think, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we, we try to allocate stuff that um, uh, we, that is a smaller production run to everybody. So at least people can get some, but you know, for the core items, like the two Amari, the Fernet, the Aperitivo, the Nocino, Centerbe Carchofo, all that is on the website. You can get it shipped directly to you. Um, the long story short is we have like a backend partner that uh, is connected to wine shops around the countries and the wine shops fulfill the orders. Uh, you order on our website, pretty seamless. Um, so yeah, you can, you can get it. You can get it. Good, because all those that you list just, you know, like I said, every single one, I want that one and I want that one. Is there a tasting room or any place that people can find you maybe on the weekends or during the week that they can come and try and sample these on their own before buying and committing to a bottle or two or three? Uh, there uh, there will be in 2024. Um, yes. we, it's definitely part of the plan. We moved into a much larger facility and it's it's in the works. Um, we will have a tasting room slash bar, uh, set up for, you know, four days a week, uh, for people to come in, try things, um, hang out, see the space, see the facility. Um, so we're probably looking at like, you know, hopefully late summer of 2024. Uh, I like to, I have to give myself a buffer because construction always takes longer than you think, but, um, yeah, definitely, definitely this year. See, that that to me sounds like, all right, grand opening time, make sure we get up there because to see what the bartenders and the cocktails that you create just out of all of the things that you do, I, I think would be magical. I think it would be an experience just for people to try because I think, again, you can sit these neat, but then there's such an expansive world to really enjoy as to how these are going to play with different spirits in the glass. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, and honestly, I'm a, I'm pretty simple when it comes to the cocktails I enjoy. Um, when I'm at least when I'm at home, um, I have people on staff who our bartenders are, you know, really more more creative when it comes to coming up with cocktails. So whenever someone's like, "Hey, what cocktail do I make with this?" I've got like two or three that I can tell you. But if you're trying to get, you know, 
a little bit more granular with it and fun, then I always point them in, in the direction uh, of, the, of the person I have on staff for that. Now, this Fernet, I've been nosing this as we've been talking about the different SKUs and expressions you have. And even as we've been discussing those items, what's really wonderful is how the nose changes and how you pick up different nuances in this. What were, I mean, this is something you created. What were the, you know, the, 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 the flavor, what was the flavor profile? What was it that you were, you know, in your head that you wanted to create and bring out those, you know, amplify those notes? Well, I think, you know, if, if you're talking about somebody who has had um, a glass of Fernet Branca in their life or Fernet Bitone, um, those are kind of the two iconic ones. And that it was just my baseline, right? So you have herbaceousness, you have kind of this medicinal dusty sort of quality to it. Uh, of course, you have like the bracing bitterness up front and the lingering bitterness. Uh, and then you have like some sweetness that's you know, kind of bolstered by this like uh, pepperminty um, vibrancy. And so I think uh, just starting there and again, like I mentioned before, just having that laundry list of, uh, of ingredients that I was able to kind of gleam from a bunch of different sources, you just start plugging and playing and you say, okay, I'm going to start this for Nat with 40 ingredients and then I'll taste it and I'll whittle I'll just kind of like take things out that don't make sense um, until it's a cohesive sort of vision. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, honestly, like we don't use any more ingredients uh, quantitatively in any product than we do more so than in the Fernet. The Fernet is 23 ingredients. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people, or, or producers are like, well, this one has, you know, 35, this one has a hundred. And it's like, well, quantity doesn't necessarily equate quality, you know, like you can have a very complex thing with fewer ingredients that are all very well matched and uh, balanced. And so that was our goal was to just create a Fernet that was well balanced instead of something that was um, in your face, I suppose. Um so yeah, that was that was kind of the goal with this. That sounds like something that comes out of your chef background, that education, that sometimes the most simplest dishes are the ones that are most delicious, that you don't want, let's say, the protein to get lost in a sauce. You don't want things to just, oh yeah, this was supposed to be a pasta, but all I get is texture, but I don't taste the richness of that fresh pasta. And I think what you're saying is, hey, all right, there are 23 ingredients but they're all there to either amplify or complement without it being one punch or, you know, just one push in your face. You keep it simple. 23 ingredients sounds like a lot, but when you're talking about over an overabundance where you no longer can sense that ingredient, which I'm sure through your trial and error, that's where you said, you know what? I still want to be able to know that if I put that in there, I can still taste it. It's not lost. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think, uh, Yes. I mean, I approached it as, um, as I would a dish, you know, like you, you have an, you have an idea for, you know, a dish you're like, okay, these are the two or three things that I want to highlight. And as a young cook, you tend to just go overboard and say like, how many different things can I put on this plate of food to make it either look better, taste better, be more fun, whatever. But as you get older, you realize the, the beauty, uh, really just comes in stripping away instead of adding on. 
And so that's sort of the philosophy that we've taken with creating these spirits is just how, what's the fewest number of things we need to put in there for it to be delicious, not how much can we throw in there just so it sounds good on the website. What I have found and the cocktails that I've been playing with with this and what I enjoy is this doesn't get lost and I can utilize this. And I think it may have come, it may come just with the herbaceousness, the spiciness and that minty finish to it. Um, the tingling finish, that time finish, and that just, you know, stays there. That This will stand up to higher proof spirits. And um, sometimes, again, if you're doing something with a higher proof spirit, the, the the mixer, the ingredient, the additional, um, in, you know, that initial ingredient gets lost. And that's one of the things that I appreciate from this. And this is uh, 35% um, ABV. So we're talking about a 70 proof item, right? Yes. Um, so, I mean, that that's that's saying, hey, we, we can have a, a little bit of a fun night with this, just drinking it on its own, on its own right? We could just, you know, let's polish off a bottle and have a great night. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And that was, you know, again, it's the lower ABV thing definitely was a part of the plan too for that as well. Um, so yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a really delicious Fernat. I, I love it. I think it's one of the products that I drink the most of from our line. Of all of the other expressions, again, that we tried at Bar Convent Brooklyn, I can tell you, and again, you mentioned that artichoke, um, the spirit, um, the expression. And I'm like, that's what I remember that just it just to me that stopped the show because I you know you are in the industry you may see that I don't see that that often and using that ingredient and making something like that to me is that that's a standout that's that's saying hey the they know what they're doing and they're willing to take some some chances and and see where it goes sure I mean that took us about a year to kind of nail down um with recipe testing, uh, because also, you know, when you, when you're making these, these formulas, um, it's not like you can just start with a yield of like 16 ounces, multiply that by, you know, a hundred and you'll get a perfect product. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't multiply well. So you have to go through renditions of each batch size before you really kind of, uh, hit the nail on the head. So we, we really wanted to um, just make sure as with everything we put out uh, that, you know, it's quality first. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's only, you know, two other artichoke based, three other artichoke based products on the market that I, I know of um, being obviously Chinar, Cardamaro and uh, Don Chicho, I feel these uh, C3, their Carchofa liqueur. So uh, we feel like it's a, it's definitely an underserved category. And I think it's one that, um, I wish more people knew about because every person who I taste on it is like, whoa, this is crazy good. And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's really delicious. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're really happy with that. And, uh, we want people to know, uh, that it's out there because it's really great. Well, like I said, it was a showstopper, but based on our experience, all your children are doing well and they're excelling and they're just, you know, Watching them grow up, at least from afar and coming on board where we have is, is been enjoyable for us. Who mentors you, Patrick? Who, who influences you? Where do you kind of go for that inspiration? Uh, or, or who has had that impact on you? Uh, hmm. That's a good question. Um, 
I mean, honestly, I had nobody mentor me for uh, product creation. This was completely self-taught. Um, not for lack of reaching out or trying to have people, you know, you know, help me out or glean information or even just see how a distillery works. Um, it, I had to kind of like just teach myself. Um, like I said before, Don Chicho and Feely, they were, you know, very nice. Let me take a tour. Um, their production manager, Jonathan Fasano, uh, at the time, um, helped me out with, you know, like, what do I buy first? Help me like pick the first round of equipment. Um, so he was super helpful, but, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, as far as just like learning how to make the stuff self-taught, um, and I, you know, continue, continue to learn because unlike being a cook, I did that for, you know, 18 years. I, uh, I've only been doing this for like, you know, professionally three and a half. So every week I'm, I am learning something new. Um, and I mean, I don't know, I think as far as just like running a business goes, uh, I can only really think of my previous, a few previous like restaurant owners who were just very good at being managers, um, and just kind of learning from their strengths and, you know, some other restaurant owners or owners failures, uh, in how to be like the best version of like a, a boss and a, uh, a, a businessman I can be. Um, so yeah, I am not going to name any names, but <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you know, you're, you're, a you're a, an amalgamation of your experiences. Right. So, um, I think I'm just trying to kind of like do justice to that and also just like, you know, be, be there for my employees in a, in as positive a way as I can be. You mentioned the tap room opening in 2024, kind of that idea of where will Facha Bruto be? Where do you see yourself in about five years? What impact, what legacy um, are you looking to to make and leave in this wonderful world we live in? Uh, five years. I mean, we're, you know, we're hoping that the, the tap room, tasting room will be um, obviously functional, fleshed out, you know, kind of running on its own. Um, I don't actually have huge um, machinations for that. I, I want it to be really, really simple. I do not want it to be like a restaurant or anything because I'm done with, I'm done with that. Um, but hopefully, you know, in five years that's going, we're in 50 states where, you know, we're in 21 states right now, but I would like to be in all 50. Uh, and, you know, hopefully in more, more countries abroad, you know, we've uh, shipped booze to a uh, couple provinces in Canada right now. We're in Costa Rica and uh, we're working on France and uh, England as we speak. Patrick, is there anything we haven't talked about on the podcast today? Anything you want to share with the listeners about you or Facha Bruto? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to trying something new, just have an open mind. Um, I think if, if you're new to the category of, of Amari and you're not really sure, you know, where to go, what to try, I think um, just don't instantly dislike something out of hand. Just keep trying it, you know, allow yourself to kind of understand it before you say, you know, yes, I love it or no, I don't like it. Um, and just have fun with it. Honestly, it's a, it's a new thing for a lot of, a lot of people, uh, in the States newer than it is in, in Europe by comparison. Um, and yeah, just give the little guys a shot, you know, <laughs> try something from a small producer. 
Well, I think, you know, when you say the little guys give them the shot, I think where you, where you are is you're cutting edge and you're the, the category that you're in is endless and the products that you're creating and the vision that you have just really help to amplify that space. And yes, if you haven't had Faccio Bruto and you are just curious, try it. It's definitely worth a try. But once you do, warning, you're going to be big fans. And like us, you're going to want to have every item that you create, even those special ones, because like I said, they're showstoppers. They really are. They're they're unique. They're fun. They're interesting. And what they do is they just, you know, you make life better. And that's, you know, that's the fun of what we get to do with Fermented Adventure is we get to learn the story behind the story. And once you get to meet somebody like you, Patrick, you get that connection to what goes in the bottle, the understanding, the time, the effort, and everything that you, you know, you did to get us to where we are today. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm grateful for your time today. And, you know, as you said, try this, find it, you know, get it shipped to you or find it on your shelves somewhere and uh, just really enjoy this experience because it is a wonderful experience. Oh, thank you very much. Patrick, thanks so much for your time today. We are grateful. Appreciate you being a friend of Fermented Adventure. And uh, whether it's Barcon or Brooklyn or somewhere in uh, in the area, we can't wait to see and spend some time with you again. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Thank you.